You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our sermon this morning, a sermon on some verses from 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul speaks about reaping and sowing, about how to approach the gifts that the Lord has given to us, Let's read together two passages from the New Testament. Let's read first from 1 Timothy chapter 6, a few verses there, the verses 17, 18, and 19. You'll notice in this chapter, the Apostle Paul has already spoken to Timothy about the love of money. The love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil. And then he gives these commands to Timothy in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And then we'll turn back to Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth in his second letter to them. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll read the verses 1 through 15. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there... The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Our text this morning is 2 Corinthians 9, the verses 6 through 15. 
Paul's instructions to the Corinthian church, chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Dear congregation who have been given the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ and of his love and work for you, Talking about money is a funny thing. You've probably experienced it in your own lives. On one hand, our culture, and I think especially the culture of our church, the one that we live in, is one that generally keeps pretty quiet about the matter of money and finances, about how much we earn or about how much we have invested or or where we have it invested or how big our debts are or what we're doing with our money at any particular time. The people that I talk to, at least, will say they've been blessed. God gives them all they need, but they never go into specifics about how much they've been blessed or or what exactly they needed that they've been giving, how much they've earned in the past year, etc. There's a bit of a code about money. Don't talk about it too much. That's what's acceptable among us. But yet, on the other hand, and this is the funny thing, if you watch TV or you read the newspapers or you subscribe to really any magazine, but especially a a business magazine or something like that, then you know that there it's all about money, money, money. And there's no shortage of, of words in talking about money. Money, they say, makes the world go round. And there's no no shortage of advice on where to spend your money, where to invest it, how to approach it, how to get more of it. There's lots being spoken of about money. Well, if talking about money in day-to-day life is kind of a a funny, sometimes an awkward thing, talking about money in the church can be even more awkward. Because if we're honest with ourselves, and if if we take the pulse of our culture around us, then we know that there's a, a fair bit of skepticism in our world today, about the topic of church and money. 
There's been too many televangelists or others, popular preachers, who have been burned by their own greed in a very public way and have swindled money from their parishioners. Let's be honest about that. And there's still too many getting rich by preaching a health and wealth gospel to the itching ears of all those sometimes thousands who come and flock to hear this message about how they can get rich. And so you can hear the scorn dripping from the mouths of of skeptics who see this kind of behavior and think that the church has no credibility, especially when talking about money. But yet, money is a crucial aspect of the church's life. It's very important to how the church runs and even to the ministry of the gospel. And God's Word is not silent about it. It's not as though those authors in the Bible who were inspired by the Holy Spirit felt this embarrassment about talking about money. There are both warnings about the irresponsible use of money and of irresponsible attitudes toward money. But there's also teachings about the good use of it. God has given us the gifts of money and material things so that we might use them as servants of His to His glory and for the promotion of His kingdom. And so really, money, talking about it, the topic of material things is not something that we should avoid in the church or that we should be embarrassed by, but it's something really that we should embrace, that we should learn more about, that we should dig into God's Word seeking understanding, and that we should strive to use the gifts that God has given us effectively and in a way that gives Him glory, honor, and praise. Because really, when we in the church give our money to the church or for give our money for the poor, when we use our gifts in any way at all, we are simply acting as stewards, as managers, under managers of the things that God has first of all given to us. What God distributes to us, we distribute for Him. And that's the theme of our sermon this morning. That the church is God's redistribution center. The church is God's redistribution center. And we'll see first the distribution of gifts. So God's distribution of gifts. And then second, the redistribution of these gifts as we allocate the resources that God has first of all given to us. So first then, the distribution of gifts. In our text, 2 Corinthians 9, 6-15, through 15, Paul is talking about gifts. How God distributes them and how we redistribute them. And to make sure, though, that we're all on the same page, in case you missed it in the introduction, but we're all on the same page about these gifts, we better make sure what we're talking about here. What are these gifts? Well, a definition of, of the gifts that Paul is talking about here is we could say everything you need and more. That's what Paul seems to mention repeatedly in here. In, in verse 8, he says that God is able to make all grace abound to you and then so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, all you need and more. In verse 10, he talks about giving seed to the sower 
So what the sower needs, seed in order to spread, and bread for food. In verse 11, Paul talks about riches. You will be made rich in every way. And in verse 12, he indirectly again speaks about needs. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many thanks to God. So, Paul is talking about gifts, material things, and he's doing it in the, the context, really, of a collection for the church in Jerusalem, the church which was very poor, which had been struck by a famine, and for which Paul was gathering money. So, what he's talking about here is money and material things. He isn't talking about gifts in terms of abilities or talents or anything like that. Other passages of the Bible speak about that. Paul has in mind money, goods, material things. So now we're all on the same page about that. A foundational thing that we need to know about this money, these goods, these material things, these gifts, is that God, of course, is the gift giver. Paul makes this clear as well throughout the text. He says in verse 8 that God is able to make all grace abound to you. In verse 9, he says that he, that is God, has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. In verse 10, he says that now he who supplies seed, that's God, to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So God is the one who gives these things. He is the gift giver. This is the way that it always has been for God's people ever since God put Adam in a garden and gave him everything that he needed. And when God was with his people in the wilderness where they had nothing else, and it was very clear to them at that moment especially that God gives these things as he miraculously gave manna from the sky and quails as well. What was miraculously done for the Israelites when they were in the wilderness is done for us every single day of our lives when God gives to us what we need. So God is the giver. God gives. But why? Why does God supply us with all our needs, as Paul says, in all things at all times? Well, That's another thing that's clear in our text. It is His grace. It is a gift of grace. He says that in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. God doesn't give to each as He deserves. He gives to each as He Himself wills, out of His own good pleasure. Again, that's what Paul makes clear in verse 8. And again in verse 14. The root of all this giving, this distribution, is the surpassing grace of God. And since it's grace at root, that means that these gifts, our money, goods, material things, are not earned. And we need to be sensitive to that. We need to be sensitive to the fact that Jesus himself teaches that God gives to each a certain amount. And that each one is told to be faithful with that amount. In the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, the master gives according to their ability, not according to what they deserve. 
So he gives much to some and little to others. And the point is that whatever God has given you, you are to be faithful with that. To the one who has been given a lot, you're to be faithful with that a lot. And if you've been given a little, you are to be faithful with that a little. The very fact that Paul would say that God is able to make all grace abound to you, that he would bring up the word grace, means that we can't speak about any sort of entitlement or merit. God has given this to me because I deserve it, and therefore I can do with it what I want. That is not part of the discussion when we're talking about gifts, about what we have, about our money, goods, and material things. It's true on a certain level that you've earned your living, you've worked hard for it, you've got a paycheck that reflects how much work you've done or at what level you've done it for, but on a deeper level, we can't take any credit for it at all. God has given it all, and He's given it out of His grace. If we want, if you don't believe me, we could look at 1 Timothy 6, where Paul commands Timothy to tell the rich not to be arrogant. Of course, the rich can't be arrogant because they don't even deserve the riches they have. Or James tells the rich to be humbled by their position. So, it's absolutely essential for us, brothers and sisters, that we understand this point about grace. That it is grace from the top down. If we miss the, if we miss that point, then we're going to have a warped view about our material things as a result. It's just like a, a math problem. You know, the children here, you're off of school right now, or for the next few weeks, but you probably still remember what math is. You know you're doing a math problem, and it's, it's so annoying if you make a, a mistake right at the beginning, and then everything is wrong all the way down. Well, that's what happens in the way that we approach money as well. If we get the grace part wrong, we're going to get it wrong all the way down. One of the mistakes that we will avoid by remembering that this is all grace is the mistake of the health and wealth gospel, which is alive and well today. This distortion of Scripture has been around for, well, probably for a really long time, but the version that we have in our world today for around a 100 years and its latest incarnation is in the, the popular teachers. You'll find them at chapters. You'll find them at the Christian bookstore even. Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer. I mention their names because their teachings are dangerous. And it's a distortion of the gospel of grace. And the basic teaching of the health and wealth gospel is this. Do certain things and you will be blessed. Do certain things and God will reward you. If you say the right thing, if you believe the right thing, if you give money to the right ministry, they call it seed money, then God will give you money, riches, goods as a result. But the basic teaching of the gospel of grace with respect to money is totally different than that. It doesn't say do certain things and God will, as a result, give you certain things. It says, the gospel of grace says, be faithful with what you have and with whatever God has already given you out of His grace. We're not talking about entitlement or earning. We're talking about stewardship 
and faithfulness. It says, be content with what God has given you. And then open your heart and your wallet wide to help others. Because God has been so gracious to you. It's not about what we can get for ourselves. It's about what we can give to others. Because God has given to us. And this is the true gospel. That's the true gospel because it's founded in the gospel. The gospel that Paul mentions in what we read in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. Where he said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ, who was rich, made Himself poor for our sakes, so that we might become rich and have all these blessings from God in order that we might, as faithful stewards, give to others. So, we've considered the question of why does God give these things? And we, we saw that it's because of God's grace. Not because of what we do, but it's because of His love. That's His motivation. But we need to, que- to also look at the question in terms of God's purpose. For what purpose does God give us money and financial blessings? And the, the purpose is made clear in verse 8 with that word, so that... God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. So in the first part, he's saying that you will have all that you need, but the further so that is so that you can do good works. Or so that we can see clearly in verse 11, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Verse 11, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Paul is saying that you will be made rich by God. That's the understanding there. God will make you rich, not to make yourself rich or so that you'll get rich or that you'll have a whole pile of riches, but God will make you rich so that you can be generous. That's his purpose. And that brings us then to the second part of this sermon about the redistribution of gifts. God gives to us, now let's consider our giving to others. It's clear that God is the one who gives us everything that we need, and that these gifts are given to us to give to others. Paul makes that same point in 1 Timothy 6, where he tells the people who are rich in this world to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share with others. So our giving is really just a natural outflowing of our receiving, since we receive already for a specific purpose. Uh, The the money that you get is earmarked, you could say. It's earmarked for generosity, for helping others. So, let's get practical. How does this work, this giving to others? Well, a good place to start with this is the tithe. The tithe. The idea of a tithe, 10% of your income, that's what the word tithe means, tenth, it's probably familiar to you. It, it has its roots in the Old Testament where God, through Moses, commanded the Israelites to give their first fruits. And their first fruits, the amounts of that was, was a tenth of all that they had, had earned. And just incidentally, when Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 
tells the people to set aside a certain sum of money on the first day of the week, he's probably picking up that idea from the Old Testament about the first fruits. So this first fruits lives on in the New Testament. So this first fruits was called a tenth, which we have now in the word tithe. Tithe means tenth, ten percent. In Deuteronomy 26, it's clear that this tenth was collected from all the Israelites for the Levites, as well as for the fatherless, the widows, the poor, the people who needed money. So the tithe was basically used for maintaining ministry, the ministry of the sacrifices in the time of the Old Testament, and for the poor, for the needy. If you were to translate that to today, then you could say that that money would be used for the ministry of the gospel and for the work of the deacons among the needy. But then, of course, as soon as we say that this tithe should be given to the work of the church and to the deacons, well, then you'll start to wonder, well, then what do we do about giving to the schools? And what about natural disasters like what happened in Haiti a short while ago, or what we'll collect for this afternoon, uh, the earthquake in Chile? And what about all those other good uh, parachurch organizations, or perhaps ones that are even run by members of our own church? Uh, What about mission work? What about friends of ours who are in need? What about cancer research? What about any other good thing to give our money to? And we could go on and on, wondering how we're going to give money to that. And then on the other side, we could argue about, well, what are we going to tithe? Are are we going to tithe our before-tax income, our gross income? Or are we going to tithe our after-tax income? Or are we going to talk about 10% of our assets? Or, again, we can go on and on trying to split hairs about these things. In Matthew 23, our Lord Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for tithing their their spices. They even poured out their spices on the counter and took out a tenth of their mint, their dill, and their cumin in order to to give it away. But then he says that our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. So he wasn't rebuking them for for being too specific about what they were tithing and what they were giving away. Really, he was rebuking them for not giving enough, even though they were tithing everything they had down to the spices in their spice rack. So, what do we do with the tithe? How much do we give? Well, I don't think we can say this much. X amount. That's not really how it works, and that's not what Paul talks about in our text the question to ask is, well, how much is needed? And then the answer is to how much to give is, well, as much as I can, in accordance with, with what God has given to me. You see, in this, this is one of perhaps the most clear passages about giving in the New Testament. And yet Paul doesn't come out and say to the Corinthians, you need to give this amount. And he certainly could have. Paul wasn't wasn't afraid of embarrassing people or or being very direct with them about any topic. He could have just said, give this much. But he doesn't say that to them because that's not the way that it works. Rather, he emphasizes first that God gives you all you need. You'll be made rich in every way. You'll have all things at all times in all you need 
so that you can give to others. He's talking about sowing generously and reaping generously. Brothers and sisters, what Paul is saying is this. You have been given so much in and through Jesus Christ so that you can help others. You've been given grace so that you can be gracious with others. Your giving is not a matter of compulsion. That's what he says in verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't even bother, he says, giving reluctantly. Don't sit at home and count out your money to your last penny where every penny that you have to give away to the church or that you have to give to the needy is like giving one of your kidneys. If you're going to give like that, basically he's saying don't bother giving at all. He says give generously. Verse 11, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Verse 13, men will praise God, he says, for your generosity. So, for the practical-minded, how much do we give then? Because we're always looking for these types of guidelines. Should we give 10%? Should we give more than 10%? Well, I would say that a tithe is a good place to start. It's where God started in the Old Testament. But don't stop there. And setting out a, a certain defined amount that every person has to give is not the point at all. The point is, give your first fruits. So give of what God has given you, the first things that come in, and give them generously. If God has given you much, then give out of that much. If God has given you little, then give out of that little. The widow at the temple who gave her last penny to the poor, she gave out of what she had. But no matter what is given, let it always be given generously and not out of compulsion. So no wonder Paul doesn't say, give this amount. That would go against what he's saying. He's saying, give freely, generously. And now why would he say that? Well, because our giving accompanies the confession, our confession of the gospel of Christ. Our giving, what we give to others, is connected to what we believe about Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Christ says along with Paul, we already mentioned it, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, that Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sakes became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. We confess that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself to us out of love. While the only fitting response to that confession is that we would give ourselves to others out of love. And that we would give what we have to others out of love. Our giving is a reflection of what we believe about what God has done for us. And that is why it is very gratifying. It's very praiseworthy, praiseworthy to God to see how this congregation in recent months has reacted when there has been a need. When there was that earthquake in Haiti, how people gave freely. Or when even when we were talking about the budget of the church, people were there to give freely. That's a good thing. Because it shows that we believe what Christ has done for us. But on the other side, some of us 
need to ask ourselves some tough questions in this regard. Perhaps it's something that's remained a blind spot for us, but it should not be a blind spot for us. Some of us need to consider how much money is in our monthly budget and how much money is used for ourselves and our pleasures and how much is used for others, for helping others with what they need. How much do you sow? How much do you spend on loving others in comparison to how much you spend on loving yourself? Now, let's not start getting legalistic and moralistic about this at this point. But we should realize that God has given us everything not to spend on our own pleasures. We have to look after our needs, of course. But God has given us much so that we can spread it around liberally in love for God and our neighbor. Listen to what John says in 1 John 3, verses 16 and 17. And notice how he links it in the love of Jesus Christ. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then he goes on, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And then this is the application. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? He says, if you have material possessions and you're not sharing it, then how can you confess the love of God to you? The one flows out of the other one. And then he goes on, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And I'm inclined to say at the end of this passage from John, Amen. Except that we're not done yet. Because we haven't gotten to the best part. Remember how Paul starts this text. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And this is the verse that the health and wealth guys love. They'll tell you that it means if you give your seed money to their ministry, then you'll get rich in return. You sow generously, you reap generously. But that's not what Paul is saying at all. Remember, God gives generously. This is not some sort of get-rich-quick scheme. It's not about. It's not an investment strategy. Paul starts from the basis of you already have all you need because God is supplying your needs. So then, what what do you reap? What's the harvest? Well, this is where we come to the good part. What do we reap? And you might notice it talks about a harvest there in verse ten. He who supplies seed for the sower, bread for food, will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Well, what's the harvest that he's talking about? What do we reap? We reap thanks for God. Remember, it's ultimately God who's the sower. God who gives us seed to sow. God's the ultimate sower and we're the under-sowers. And so our resu- the result of our sowing is gifts for others, but the final result is thanksgiving to God. Just as God sows, God also reaps thanksgiving. That's the great harvest of our generosity. When we give to others and they see this grace of God at work and they praise Him and they adore Him. They who were worried about not having their needs now have it supplied because of the generous grace 
of God. I think that's powerful motivation and inspiration for sharing our gifts so that God might get the glory. And Paul repeats this throughout. Verses 11 and 12, he says, Your generosity results in many expressions of thanks to God. In verse 13, he says that by your service, by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God. The result, the attitude of many in our world, we mentioned it at the beginning, with respect to churches and money is one of suspicion or even more of harsh and bitter cynicism. Too many people have seen money taken by the church and not used properly. They think that Christians, and especially Christian leaders, are just out to increase their own wallet. But when we turn our attention to what God has given us in order to show love for others, in order to help those in need, then we're going to shut the mouths of those cynics. They won't be able to say anything because it'll be clear how we are using what God has given us. And even more, we'll open up the mouths of those who are in need, not just to receive food, but to give expression of thanks and praise to God. Langley, there are regular needs here in the the budget of the church, needs that need to be looked after. And there are larger than regular needs in our church among the needy here. If you were at the congregational meeting, you know that recently the amounts of collections for the needy had to be increased because the need is so great. There's great need there. And there's all sorts of great needs in our community and all sorts of Christian causes and all around us. There are profound needs as we look to the poor and the suffering in our world, in countries like Chile and Haiti. In our time, God has given us much so that we might be able to do much. And when we do much, it will result in much praise to God. Let's give our money, goods, material possessions as a sacrifice of thanks to God for His grace to us. And so that He might receive that harvest of thanksgiving and praise among men, women, and children who experience His grace through our giving. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.